Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com slash join blue wire welcome back this is the big blue banter new york giants football podcast i'm dan schneier joined as always by my co-host nick filato and tonight we're going to continue to roll forward our draft profile series with another player that both Nick and I are high on. This seems like we've been rolling on a lot of high players lately. Patrick Sertan, Kyle Pitts before him. We got a lot of players we like, and this is a player who finally hits that position that literally every Giants fan is talking about, and some fans feel is the most important position to address. Some fans feel is the only position to address. That's wide receiver, but no, we're not going to do Jalen Waddle yet. We're not doing Jamar Chase yet. We're not doing Devontae Smith yet. We're not even doing Rashad Bateman yet. We're doing a player who's starting to move up draft boards, but a player who may ultimately not have any chance at being a first-round pick because of his size. But we don't care about that, and we're going to get to that soon. That's Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. Not Rondell Moore, who we're going to get to as well. Another Moore. There's two great Moores in this draft at the wide receiver position. And then ultimately multiple Moores at a lot of positions and prospects we like. It's a weird thing that this year there's a lot of good Moores. Just an odd thing. But Elijah Moore, wide receiver prospect out of Ole Miss. Let's start with the traits you like, the strengths you like from Moore after watching him on tape. So firstly, Dan, he's like the third or fourth prospect I've written up for Sports Illustrated that went to St. Thomas Aquinas High School in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. 
<laughs> I mean, that, that imagine being that coach. It's like, just give me the state championship type thing. <laughs> but I got to tell you, man, I really liked Elijah Moore's tape. His ability to stop and start, it's remarkable. He's so fluid, quick, and sudden with all of his movements. And I actually see a ton of nuance to how he runs routes. Sure, he played at Ole Miss. And they use a ton of bubbles and quick slants. But he still set routes up well with his release and was very deceptive up his stem. What I mean by that is he really leans in the opposite direction into his breaks, is full of head and shoulder fakes to cause hesitation and possibly get receivers to open their hips in an undesirable direction. He's measured, controlled, and very balanced in his movements. He's very, very dynamic in space with the football in his hands, but that's not the only way he's effective. He's insanely tough over the middle of the field, breaks arm tackles with exceptional contact balance, and his hands are amazing. He's also a good downfield weapon who knows how to win at the line of scrimmage, stack, track, locate, make tough contested catches. So I tweeted earlier this past week that if Moore was 6-1, we, as fans and in the online scouting community, would be talking about him a lot more. And people were busting my chops about it. They're like, well, obviously we would. But I think my point was missed. My point is more about how his pure skills as a receiver shouldn't be overlooked because he's 5'9". Look, there are plenty of six foot one receivers that can run a 4-4-4-4-5 in this draft and no one is really gushing over them. However, in my opinion, off the tape I've seen, Elijah Moore is being slept on because of his size, and if he was 6'1", given all of the other receiving skills that he possesses, we'd be talking about the top four receivers in this draft and not just the top three. Yeah, I think you're spot on with this take, Nick. And I'll say this to start by qualifying my opinion on this. I think out of all the positions that I watch film of, wide receivers by far and away the one that I feel the most confident in my evaluation of, I think just from where I'm at as a football evaluator. And I've learned a lot along the way from you, from Turgeon, from just general studies, listening to guys like Greg Cassell break down film, guys like Ben Fennell, just people who know the game very well, you, you, you're yourself included. Wide receivers position that I feel the most comfortable by far in evaluating. I will say this, in the fantasy community, and woo, woo, fantasy alert, but in the fantasy community, we call a lot of picks arbitrage plays. What an arbitrage play is, it means a player who is being drafted 20 or 30 picks after another player, but profiles likely to have a very good chance of giving similar production. To me, when I evaluate this class, and I haven't fully dove into him yet, I see more as a really big-time arbitrage play in a lot of our supposed top receivers, like the Devontae Smith, somebody like Devontae Smith, for example. Obviously a better prospect than Moore. He's going to go 30 picks ahead of Moore. But... I see Moore as a little bit of an arbitrage play. When you look at somebody like Moore, like you said, his ability to stop and start, that's one awesome thing. Like you can see him as just one of these Stefan Diggs type route runner type players, potentially, if he really crafts if he really hones in that part of his game and crafts that part of his game. But the things that really stand out to me are his toughness over the middle making catches, which you don't expect for a guy five foot nine, eighty one eighty four, and that stood out on tape. It's his hands. It's his ability to come down with all these catches. Some of that works in conjunction with his toughness. You see multiple times on tape where he's running routes over the middle and he takes a massive hit and he hangs on to the ball. And it's also his ability to be a deep threat. He tracks the ball really well vertically. I saw it multiple times. Most most prominent to me was a game they played against Mississippi State this season from the 2020 season where he had an awesome play where he did a really good job tracking a vertical ball and you could see him pick up speed on that route when the ball was a little overthrown. He was probably not going to make a play on it, it looked like and he picked up speed on a double move. So I think he does a lot of things well that you look for at a wide receiver position. And I think that with the exception of the fact that he's five foot nine, one eighty four, 
he really has mostly everything you want and then it bores out in the fact that the production is there too nick i mean this is a player who had the second most receiving yards in college football last year he had 1193 yards in eight games that's absolutely absurd 1193 yards in eight games now like you said earlier some of that is schemed up he takes bubbles he takes a lot of those push passes from the backfield he's used a lot in motion something jason garrett didn't do a good job of last year with the giants and he's used a lot in the backfield and like you said sometimes just on easy rpos you see that they really run a lot of those like long developing rpos where the quarterback snaps the ball really puts that ball in the running back's hand for a long time before snapping it back and hitting the slant to more that's fine some of those yards are manufactured but you watch the tape of him and you watch more play football and you can clearly see that all 1193 of his yards in eight games were not manufactured really not much of them were manufactured so he had it there from the production standpoint he also had a 90.4 grade according to pro football focus against man coverage so this is clearly a guy who can beat man coverage now that will lead to some questions i have to ask from you later in this because a lot of those snaps came in the slot and we have to talk a lot about what a slot receiver would mean for the giants considering we really want Shepard to be there but that's something to keep in mind. He only had a 2.3% drop rate. He literally only had two drops in 2020, and on 200 catchable targets in his entire career at Ole Miss, only 10 drops. This is a sure-handed receiver. What's really important about playing the receiver position? Catching the ball, being a natural hands catcher, gets overlooked time after time after time for bad reasons. You need to have that trait first and foremost, then you move on to the next things. 18 force missed tackles in eight games. That was the sixth most of any receiver. 61 receptions from the slot, 888 yards from the slot. That was the fourth most of any receiver, both time and both respectively. 11 contested catches. Now, this is according to Pro Football Focus with what their game charters deem as a quote-unquote contested catch. That was fifth most among wide receivers, so he's good in contested catch situations as well. He's tough at the catch point. He plays bigger than his size. And like I said, he really does have an underrated ability to track the ball in the air on deep throws. For me, Nick, with the exception of size, I don't really see many weaknesses in Elijah Moore's game, so why don't you tell me what his weaknesses are? <laughs> like like you've already pointed out, people will point at the scheme production that helped lead to that epic 2020 season, but I've seen him run enough routes, and I've seen the nuance within those routes to infer that his route running ability won't be an issue. The route tree at Ole Miss may not be as expansive as other schools, but I'm not going to automatically assume he can't run routes when I see the attention to detail he applies to the routes that he does run. The height will be an issue, and I don't think there's a way really around that. I mean, but I really like the suddenness also in his release, but I think a knock I have is you don't see him face press that much, which is going to be an issue. It's going to be an issue at the next level. It is. But I remember that was the big knock on Cooper Cup when he was coming out of Eastern Washington. So McVay ensured that Cup didn't have to defeat Press early in his career until he kind of learned how to do it. You know, you put a receiver in motion, you line him up off the line of scrimmage, you create that free access. That's a way to kind of limit his ability to be pressed out of a play. Moore could be relegated to the slot if he doesn't adapt to defeating Press, and he could just be one of the more dynamic slot receivers in the league. But I would say that's probably my main concern. But I mean, dude, this kid can play, man. This kid is a good football player. I think he's a really, really good football player, Nick. And before we dive into some questions specific to the Giants, some questions specific to Moore as a prospect, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. 
from big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. So my first question for you, you kind of touched on already, but I want to go into a little deeper. And that would be the fact that Moore played literally just 38 snaps against press coverage all season long. Does that give you any pause projecting him to the next level? Because you know, you know, you're, have you seen enough to believe that he can beat an NFL quarters and press? Or like you said, are you seeing so much less press in the NFL ever? Or you believe that Jason Garrett can be like Sean McVay in that way and get him in position to not face a lot of man, um, sorry, press coverage in his first season? I think it would be on Jason Garrett to do that. And yes, I think Jason Garrett, the perception of him right now is not high within the Giants community, but if the Giants made an investment on someone like Elijah Moore, it's definitely going to be something that is talked about throughout the entire team is manufacturing easy touches for this guy. So I think that they would figure that out. But I do, like I said, I think the fact that he didn't face a lot of press in college is definitely an issue going to the next level. I think that's definitely one of the main issues outside of the five foot nine frame. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And what I always like to look for when it comes to wide receivers is, does he have an elite trait that you think projects to the next level? From my evaluation of Moore, and I think you touched on this, and I kind of agree with you, he does a lot of things very well, doesn't really do anything wrong. I think probably his most elite trait would be kind of that Kadarius Tony type stop and start ability. And I know you mentioned that. He does seem, like I said, what was it, 18 forced missed tackles. He really, And that was just in eight games, by the way, six most. He has that nice stop and start, slippery. He's kind of slippery. He's not that explosive, I don't think, but he's slippery. What would you, would you say that's his defining trait, or would you say it's toughness over the middle what would you say is his defining trait i was actually gonna say it's his toughness like i heard a lot of comps to steve smith i'm not Mm -hmm. a big comp guy but i think that is a solid starting place right there someone with very good athletic ability can stop and start can run a lot of different routes yes he's diminutive in size relative to a lot of other nfl receivers but the amount of toughness that he brings over the middle you better wrap him up and bring him to the ground because he's gonna break right through your arm tackles kind of player and i just love how nuanced it seemed like he was with the routes that he was asked to run and I think that's a big part of this as well and like you said that change of direction that accelerate that quick acceleration and that stop start he doesn't have that explosive burst that Jalen Waddle or Rondell Moore the kid from Purdue has but he's still explosive as well he's still not going that's not going to be a liability for him going to the next level yeah I think he did a good job from my opinion of watching him in doing the most with the angles he had and finding a way to move vertically upfield. There were a lot of plays that I liked mm-hmm. that I saw from him where this is just a little nuanced thing from wide receivers I like and from running backs as well, where they dig their foot in the ground and then t- and turn and go vertically instead of laterally and horizontally. Just a nice way to pick up an extra three yards in key spots that I think a lot of receivers and running backs don't have the mindset to do, don't have it programmed and try to bounce outside, try to create more yards, and then they're going laterally and instead they're actually losing yardage or not gaining any more yardage. So I like that. It's a little small nuance of his game I do have a question about the idea of Moore at 42 for the Giants because I'll say this based on how deep this wide receiver class is and the fact that he's five foot nine I think there's a very very good chance he's going to be available at 42 so my question to you is Moore was primarily a slot receiver there at Ole Miss and he projects at five foot nine as primarily a slot receiver now that's not to say that that height means you can't be an outside receiver and we'll get to that in a minute guys like Steve Smith who you mentioned even though somebody like Antonio Brown's not that big and he put one on the outside consistently throughout his career he's obviously bigger than Moore but he's not a huge receiver 
Do you think that the fact that he was primarily a slot, and we've discussed in the past that we would really like Sterling Shepard to get back to the slot on a full-time basis, does that give you any pause about taking him at 42? That gives me pause, especially when you look at it from the fact that he hasn't really had to beat press. So you haven't seen that on tape quite yet either. So it definitely gives me pause. It makes you think about it. And you also got to look at who's calling the plays, man. You got Jason Garrett calling the plays. And every time a Jason Garrett offense has been at its maximum level, it was when he had his prototypical X type of receiver. And they're always typically more than six foot one, six foot two boundary outside on the line of scrimmage type of receivers. And that's just not who Elijah Moore is. Yeah, unfortunately, that is the case. Now, I'm a big believer that you could easily develop an offense with both Elijah Moore and Sterling Shepard in it. And it could be a really successful offense. It would use a lot of pre-snap motion. It would use a lot of, like you said, uh, with what McVay does to get free releases off the line of scrimmage bunch formations. Now, I don't think Jason Garrett's reinventing the wheel. You said earlier that Jason Garrett is not, you know, not a hot commodity than Giants Quinny, but let's be honest, Nick. We've had a lot of off-season discussion about the Giants off the pod, and you're typically a lot more optimistic about the Giants than I am, and you have been very pessimistic about Garrett, rightfully so, as have I as is Bobby Skinner, as is pretty much anyone who's watched the All-22 extensively. I am not going to sit here and let people bully me into thinking Jason Garrett is not a problem. Unfortunately, he's the biggest problem and my biggest concern. Having said that, I don't really think there's too much of a long-term future for Garrett here, to be completely frank and honest with everyone listening and you, Nick. So I'm not willing to just not draft a receiver because Jason Garrett is the current offensive play caller and coordinator. I would rather draft the best possible player. So with that said, do you believe that Moore, not necessarily in a Jason Garrett system, but you believe that Moore can follow in the footsteps of a Steve Smith type and win consistently as as an outside receiver against press? And this will be a projection, like you said, because he hasn't done it. They haven't asked him to do it. Like, what did we say? He faced 38 snaps against press all season in 2020 that's such a low number but do you believe based on your projection that he can do it yes i do i do and he has to prove that and it is a projection but i think the skill set is there and i i'm high on a player like elijah moore and i'm not saying the giants shouldn't draft him because of jason garrett that's not what i'm saying no, I but know I, you're not. yeah i'm saying that it, the reality of the matter is jason garrett might not be the best offensive coordinator for someone like elijah moore i think if elijah moore goes to the right system he could be a, like a household name in the nfl that could probably be had in the second round yes i completely agree with that everything you said there really and ultimately i think that's probably why he might not be on the radar for the giants i think you're right they're going to want a big receiver and it's kind of also one of the reasons i've kind of been like doubling back earlier i predicted the giants would just sit at 11 and take Devonte smith because he's a heisman winner he played at bama it's a dave gettleman type pick but i think that when i really take a step back and think about it they probably are looking for a true x there which leads me to believe they might be more interested in a jace type and a bateman type somebody who can play that big sizable x on the outside now this draft by the way as far as the second round goes and kind of those players after the big three receiver goes and even part of the big three isn't doesn't really profile with that many prospects i mean look at it Kadarius tony rondell moore um elijah moore Devonte smith with the exception of maybe like a terrence marshall rashad bateman nico collins who may or may be a later type pick and then you get into the seth williams's of the world but with the exception of those guys, even, you know, some people really like Tylen Wallace, and I think he's good. Some people really like Dwayne Eskridge, and I think he's, these are all still smaller type receivers, not necessarily an excellent fit for the Giants in Jason Garrett's system. So I think that's interesting in general, just the class doesn't exactly fit what the Giants want to do, or at least under Jason Garrett. 
and with their current personnel being Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton at the wide receiver position. So I think that'll be interesting when we look at all this and kind of who they target here. To me, ultimately, I really like Moore, and I think he could end up being a steal, like you said, in the right offense. Necessarily, I'm not so sure if the Giants are going to be that offense. We'll have to see. Um, I have a question for you. What do you say to those critics who who question if Moore's route tree is diverse enough to be more than just a gadget player at the next level? I would just say watch how he runs the routes that he's asked to run, kind of like what I went over when I was talking about his strengths, how he sets up his moves in and out of breaks, how he explodes out of his breaks just when he comes off the line of scrimmage, how quick he is off the line of scrimmage. Like I said, the head and the shoulder fakes, the little subtleties when he's with a defender who's in phase he definitely leans in to create that separation does the flipper like we talk about on the podcast where you extend that arm to just create that separation you're not extending it past the elbow to get that flag but you're creating separation just by basically elbowing the defender making them pause forcing their momentum backwards while you explode in another direction he has all those little subtleties to help create separation and he can and he can create separation just with his own athletic ability anyways. But as far as route running, if you watch him run routes, they're not sloppy. They're relatively crisp. Yeah, he's a really crisp route runner. I really don't see much wrong with his game. I think he stands out to me as a really good value. And I don't think because he doesn't be, look project as a prototypical fit for Jason Garrett's system, he should be taken off the Giants draft board or somebody who the Giants shouldn't strongly consider. I actually think the opposite. You think you're looking for the best possible receiver and you shouldn't be concerning yourself too much with... Um, this system right now especially because as we said neither of us have any kind of confidence that Jason Garrett will be the long-term play caller here for the New York football giants um, unless you know they take a massive leap remember this was the 31st ranked offense last year and I think today I tweeted out some of the stats that were just really and truly hard to look at to be completely honest when it came to Jason Garrett's offense I'm gonna put out some of these right now and I'm gonna throw out some of these on the podcast it was his first season since 2012 calling plays. 2012, man. It's 2020, and it looked like a 2012 offense. It was 31st in points, the Giants. 31st in red zone trips that ended in a touchdown. Think of how painful that is as a fan to have to watch a team that's 31st in red zone trips that end in a touchdown. 30th in passing EPA. That's the advanced metrics. That shows how pathetically bad the Giants were every single time they drop back to throw a pass. 30th in total plays on offense. Total plays. How do you win when you don't have offensive plays? And then 27th in adjusted sack rate. They were obviously one of the worst pass protecting teams in the NFL that we discussed on an earlier podcast. So again, a jump is hopeful. It's likely with Saquon Barkley plus adding talent. But if this team doesn't jump into the top 15 at least, and that's a lot to ask for to go from 31 to 15, this will be it for Garrett in my mind. I think that will be the end of his run. But as far as Moore goes, Nick, one more question when it comes to Moore. Does a talent like Moore, who we kind of both feel is going to be a massive value in that second round just because we think he's kind of a much better player than than it seems like based solely on him being knocked for his size, does that give you any pause to going wide receiver at 11 knowing that you can get someone like him at 42? I think it depends on who's around. If someone like Jalen Waddell is around who just has an incredible explosive type of traits then maybe not but similar to like we were talking about last year with how good that wide receiver class was there's going to be talent down the board people are going to fall down the board because it's so talented at the top with Waddle, Chase Smith even someone like Terrence Marshall, Kadarius Tony, Rashad Bateman all of these receivers there's going to be other receivers that will be available so I think it's something to consider but 
I think Dave Gettleman, at the end of the day, he's just trying to find the right fit for the team and the right piece to kind of get the Giants over that hump and into the playoffs. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think it'll be interesting to see what direction they go there. Waddle is definitely somebody who I like a lot, but I'm always going to be a little skeptical about drafting undersized players in the top 15. I think it's a bit risky, but again, I really do like Waddle. So ultimately, I'm going to probably settle in as him as one of my top picks at 11. He's just that good. All right, anything else you want to touch on when it comes to Jalen, when it comes to uh, Elijah Moore? I'm sorry. Any NFL comps you got for him, maybe? NFL comps. I mean, again, I'm not a big comp guy, but I, I, think, that, I think that Steve Smith one is, is something that uh, was intriguing. Now, obviously, he has a ton of development to go to be Steve Smith, and I'm not saying that he's Steve Smith, but an undersized, incredibly tough receiver who knows how to make players miss and can actually run through players because he has that kind of contact balance. Yeah, Elijah Moore also possesses those similar skills. Best case scenario, Steve Smith. Yeah, it's be- yeah, best case scenario. Steve Smith was. And an we're talking star. about Steve Smith from the Panthers, Ravens, not the Giants. Steve Smith, just no. to be clear. Yeah, not not the uh, the Utah Steve Smith, not the USC yes. one. Yes. Though we do love, we do have all sorts of love for the USC Steve Smith. Just another Giants receiver who was unbelievably talented and fell prone to injuries. The Giants receivers at injuries are just insane. From Smith to Manningham to Knicks to Cruz, it's crazy how injured the Giants got at the wide receiver position. When you really break it down, too, because that was all in such a short span. That was all in like a five- to six-year span, and all of them had such promising careers, and it all flashed, and then it just when it died, it died, bro. Yeah. It just fell off the cliff. And Steve Smith, too, he goes and he signs a contract with the Eagles, and it was just boom, downhill like that. Yeah, he didn't have it left. I mean, they, he was just never able to recover. So once you, Some guys, like the same thing with Cruz and Knicks, they lost that juice, that lower body juice. And even if you want to throw into the mix plaques, who, if he doesn't have that incident, that unfortunate incident, if he puts the safety on on his gun, everything's changed. He has another two or three years, I think, in him if that doesn't happen. I really do feel like he was not anywhere close to the cliff there. Uh, with the Giants but that's what happens hopefully with the next receiver the Giants draft and they're gonna draft a receiver at some point I can guarantee that hopefully he does he has falls out you know has a different I guess track then he goes on a different track than the recent ones because even Beckham to an extent you know fizzled out oh absolutely but is Amani Toomer the last receiver that the Giants drafted and it wasn't like a unfortunate ending due to injury or just a kind of terrible breakup I want to say Ike Hilliard, but Ike Hilliard also took that really bad hit from Brian Dawkins, a really dirty hit. Yes. Disgustingly despicable dirty hit. That I, One of my first memories as a fan was getting incredibly angry at that hit that Brian Dawkins made over the middle, which today would not only he'd be fined for it, he'd be ejected from the game. I mean, tons of things would happen if you tried to make a hit like that. But I just remember one of my first takes as a Giants fan was Brian Dawkins, a despicable, dirty player, and I hate his guts. <laughs> so Ike Hilliard to an extent, but I think he kind of fizzled out too. So yeah, they haven't had a lot of luck with the wide receiver yeah, position. Ike Hilliard ended up on the, what, Buccaneers, I think? He did go to the Bucks after yeah. that, I believe. It was yeah, either, he, did Jared Vicious go to the Bucks too? Jared Vicious, I feel like, was on like five yeah, different Jared Yeah, he, he, he was around for a while. <laughs> Another Giants receiver that kind of fizzled out. But yeah. Again, we're going to be doing a lot of receivers on these draft profiles. It's a position we're very confident the Giants will be drafting. Even if they do sign someone in free agency, we're pretty sure they'll draft someone at some point. It's another deep class. It's another deep class. They skipped on it last year, and they need to add talent. Like Dave Gunman said, we need to add playmakers for Daniel Jones. That's his opinion of what needs to be fixed on offense, and hopefully that will end up leading to success. So with that said, we're going to wrap up more there, and we're going to dive into some questions from the listeners. So we'll start here with T.J. Kong, Dan the Movie. 
Can you talk about what makes Kyle Pitts' prospects brighter than recent tight end standouts that have, haven't lived up to the high draft position, such as TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, OJ Howard, David Njoku, and Eric Ebron? For me, it's more that Pitts is more of a wide receiver than any of those guys were. Like, Hawkinson is a tight end. That guy has blocking upside font. He has a lot of receiver type of traits, but the dude was the number one tight end at Iowa, which is one of the more tight end factory type of schools. And then with OJ Howard and Joku, Ebron had a little bit of receiver type of vibes to him, but he definitely lines up in line. For me, I, I think Pitts, Now I didn't evaluate all these guys coming out of school, but I do believe that Pitts has a different type of just natural receiving skills than some of these guys, especially Eric Ebron, David Njoku. Whereas Howard and Hawkinson, they were a little bit more polished, but Hawkinson had more of a blocking pedigree towards him. Font was just really, really good athlete who had some, I would say, nuance as a tight end. It just hasn't worked out in the NFL yet. I'm not really 100% sure why, but the main takeaway for me when watching Kyle Pitts film is just he's an exceptional receiver, and he's already very developed in the receiving aspects of playing the tight end position. Yeah, and I think just to touch on this, I mean, some of these players, Ebron is the closest thing I think we've seen to our own Evan Ingram. He was more athlete than receiver, more athlete than pass catcher, more athlete than tight end. OJ Howard and Hawkinson are inline guys. They're not really similar to Kyle Pitts in my mind. Font is probably the closest thing we have. No Fant, Font, whatever you want to call him. But he's also much more of an athlete, less of a developed player. Njoku was another guy who was drafted mostly because he had freakish size, speed, and athleticism. He was super young, and people thought he'd develop into a really good two-way tight end. Pitts, what stands out to me and why I think his prospects are brighter than any of these recent tight end standouts is one, contested catch ability to route running from the tight end position maybe not the best receiving route the receiver i'm sorry route runner among receivers in this class but as far as tight ends he's easily number one and he's one of the better receivers i mean today uh somebody from pff i forgot who tweeted out that a few teams around the nfl are grading him out as a wide receiver he's that good against ma- uh man coverage cornerbacks and he oftentimes lined up against cornerbacks in the SEC and beat them in man coverage. He has incredible natural hands at the catch point. He's strong at the catch point. He, like I said, has just incredible body control in the air and the ability to adjust to off-placed balls and make ridiculous circus catches. He is one of the best receivers in this class, in my opinion. I know he's considered a tight end, but I think he's one of the best receivers in this class. And like I said on the last podcast, and I'll say probably through the end of time as they do these valuations because I see it already. He'll be one of my five best players in this class. I think he is one of the five best players, irrespective of position in this class. All right, Clay Clay. Clay Clay. It's C-L-E-Y and then C... Or no, K-L-E-Y. C-L-A-Y-Y, who actually told me today, made a joke on Twitter. I didn't really pick up on it. I asked him about it, Nick, and he said... It was hashtag crossers, and he said one time you said the word crossers eight times in a span of 40 seconds on the podcast. So I thought that was funny. That's freaking hilarious, Clay Clay. Yeah, and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even know I did it, but apparently I did. He said, first of all, can we get a rough ETA on the I love crossers D? You're right, though, Clay. I do love crossers, man. I want mesh. I want crossers. I don't want curls. I think you're much better <laughs> running crossers. So, yes, I love crossers. And respective to, at least compared to what I saw last year from Jason Garrett's crappy offense, I love crossers. All right, he asks if, assuming the Giants do bring back Leonard Williams, do they have the salary cap space to add a significant piece like Allen Robinson on offense? Really think this could be the draft they finally trade back unless Pitts is still there. 
Also, he says, could we get a big blue banter tailgate in Los Angeles for the Chargers Giants next year? I don't know. That, that would have to be something that would be very, very tough to probably pull off for Dan and me during the football season. But I do love the enthusiasm. And as for the realistic ability of the Giants signing Allen Robinson and Leonard Williams, I think it could be doable because, like as we talked about, the cap is maneuverable. But they would have to part ways with Kevin Zeitler. They would have to restructure a couple contracts. Maybe, like you said, Bradbury and Martinez would restructure that, push the money down the line, kick that can down the line, cut guys like Golden Tate, do something maybe with Nate Solder. But, yeah, there would have to be some moves to really allow that to happen as, as well as maybe even like retain someone like Dalvin Tomlinson. Yeah, I think ultimately I'll start with by answering your question on the actual cap. I don't think that the Giants will have to – maneuver through too many hoops to actually make that type of thing happen bring back Leonard Williams and sign someone like Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay on offense now one thing I think will happen is you'll say bye-bye to Dalvin Tomlinson but with the exception of that I don't buy into the crap that you hear on Giants Twitter about the cap because the Giants have close to 90 million in cap space for 2022 an even prettier cap picture in 2023 All they have to do is restructure both Bradbury and Martinez, which I have no reason why they wouldn't do. You can add years to their contract to lower their cap hits. Why would you not want Martinez and Bradbury for more than the three years that they signed him for? They've clearly proven that they could and should be here for maybe up to five years. But guess what? You don't even have to add years. You can literally just front load, or I'm sorry, back load their cap space. And all you need then in that point is that for, for them to not get a major injury so they don't play. Because if they do get a major injury and they can't play one of the back, or I'm sorry, the next year, the last year, the final year of their contract, well, then you're paying massive cap hit that you can't get out of. And that's dead cap for a player who's injured. But other than that, you're good to go. So I would probably just do the first thing. I'd add years to that. To, I'd extend both Bradbury and Martinez restructuring their contract, lowering their cap hit for this year, knowing full well that in 2022, you have nearly 90 million cap space. You still have your quarterback on a rookie deal. In 2023, you have Solder off the books. You have Zeitler off the books. You have even healthier cap picture. And you may at that point be turning over to a new quarterback. I'm not saying you will, but you may be. You may not be paying that position either. So I think they have plenty of cap space to do what they want. I think they're going to be more aggressive than people think right now in free agency. I think they're going to make a serious run at Kenny Galladay if he doesn't get franchise tag. That's my prediction. Now, as far as the BB, the Big Blue Banter tailgate in Los Angeles next year, if you can get a hold of our bosses at Blue Wire, Kevin Jones, I'll give you his email. Go ahead, email him if you want. Ask him if he can hook us up with tickets out to LA on a flight, tickets to the game. We'll do the rest. We'll cover the tailgate. I'll pay for the alcohol. I'll pay for the food. I'll set up the tailgate. You just get our boss to send us out there. Flights, hotels, tickets to the game, and we're in, Clay Clay. All right. Next question is from our boy, Bay Guevara. K. Mandante. I think I pronounced that right. I never pronounce it right. I don't know when I will. He says, is Penny Sewell your number one, Penny Sewell your number one pick if he's there at 11? This is first question. This is a loaded Penny C- uh, Bay Bay tweet because Bay's got a lot to talk about here. We're gonna get to them all though. We'll start with that one, Nick. It's Penny Swell, my number one pick. I would probably want to watch film on all the other guys to really come to that determination. It seems like it would definitely be trending in that direction though. Yes, mine is yes. I love offensive line. I know you can get receivers later. I don't have edges that high. I'm not going to take a corner, any of those corners over. So, well, yes, that's me. And Jamar Chase is a, is a name that I think that I that may make me reconsider that. Sure, Chase I could consider, but I'm not going to go Chase over. So, well, I, I'm going to. I I saw enough from last year that I think I knew, I knew he sat out the season, but the upside with Sewalls, so well you might be getting literally an All Pro 
offensive tackle. That, to me, is more valuable than an all-pro receiver, and I'm not even so sure. I think Jamar Chase is a guaranteed all-pro receiver. Um, he also says, should we draft a backup running back in the later rounds due to Saquon's durability issues? I think that they definitely could go in that direction. I think they sh- need to add somebody if they don't bring Wayne Gallman back, but that could be an undrafted free agent too. So it just depends on their board, their setup, what exactly they want to do. But I believe adding bodies to the running back position is probably something that they should definitely do. They, In my mind, they desperately need to add talent to the running back position, especially with Gallman as a free agent. And the best teams are using those day three picks at running back. So I would love them to. But the biggest problem is Dave Gettleman doesn't have that many day three picks. He traded some already, and he's not going to trade back most likely to get more. Even though last year, he should just look at recent Giants history. The Giants had more day three picks last year than they had at any point in Dave Gettleman era. And recent years in Jerry Reese, and what did they do? They hit on some of them. They hit on Lemieux to an extent. And Darnay Holmes, who we thought was great last year and is only going to get better. So you have more draft swings, you have more dart throws to throw in those later rounds, you can take one on running back, and you're going to be more likely to find a quality player if you have more chances at it. That's obvious to me, and hopefully it'll be obvious to Gettleman and crew, and they'll make they'll create some more picks on day three. He also wants to know, do we have the answer to weak, weak side linebacker already on our team? So I guess that would be Tay Crowder, Mr. Irrelevant from last year, who had a really solid rookie season I think he can step in and he can play but I think it's always something that you're going to look to upgrade on so I would say yes the answer is there but it's not the final answer all right I like that one I don't have anything else to say and one more question we're going to get to also from Bay is we seem to have a gluttony of outside linebackers but no real standouts who do we cut interesting who do we cut? Well, Kyler Fackrell isn't going to be retained. So you're looking at a bunch of guys who are kind of on these cheap contracts. David Mayo, that's more of an inside linebacker guy. You have these cheap rookie deals like Carter Coughlin, Cam Brown, if you want to consider those guys uh, outside linebackers, even though they're somewhat edges and some people think they could play inside. I uh, I don't think you necessarily have to cut anybody, Bay. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think these guys are going to be here to stay, and some of them have big roles on special teams that will keep them on the roster. All right, that's all the time we have for on tonight's show. Thanks again for tuning in. If you want to help promote the show, if you want to help us grow the show, do us a favor, head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, download, review, give us that five-star rating, help us get to that race to 500 ratings. Also, head over to Instagram. We know you waste time on Instagram. I sure as hell waste way too much time on that stupid app. And just go to search. This will take one second. The next second I want you to use is to type in NY Big Blue Banter. Hit that follow button. Follow us on Instagram. We are moving up the ranks of Giants fan pages on Instagram. We want to continue moving up the ranks there on Instagram. So please do us a favor and follow us on Instagram as well. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.